0: All right, welcome to the Adaptex podcast where we have conversations with people who are building accessible businesses, advocating for inclusion or excelling in uh, adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities but provide new ideas and amplify theirs uh, so more businesses and products can become more accessible and inclusive. Today I'm joined by Dane Stair. Dane is an adaptive exercise specialist at New Ability, a facility in Colorado that aims to bridge the gap for post-acute rehabilitation services and exercise programs for those with paralysis and other disabilities. Dan, thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Brendan. I appreciate it. Uh,
0: Maybe you can backtrack to how you first got involved uh, with adaptive exercise specifically. Uh, What led you to focus on these populations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it's kind of two things that kind of led me down this path. One was in my university studies, um, got my degree in University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, uh, and I was able to participate in a program called the pride program, which is physical activity for individuals with intellectual disabilities. Uh, I did that for four semesters, kind of opened my knowledge to just how much kind of yield and reach we can have with the adaptive population to i had worked with uh, Down syndrome, autism, static encephalopathy, uh, conditions like that. Uh, but more so the, the thing that's kind of got me into adaptive spinal cord injuries and with physical disabilities. My dad had a spinal cord injury in 2018. Uh, he since made a full recovery, thank God, but I was able to be on the, kind of the distal aspect of his re- rehab program, uh, and I was really able to shed a lot of insight into just the sheer trauma that comes from these injuries and how a kind of a collective uh, continuation of care and continuation of a team is really, really effectively um, – mandated for this population for for folks with spinal cord injuries and then you know when you realize scis are probably one of the most catastrophic injuries a human can take you kind of realize you have confidence being able to work with other folks too so that kind of shed its light down the the road for me
0: was uh new ability your first career post-graduation
1: I had kind of putzed around some sports therapy technician positions before. So it was a uh, cryotherapy, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, a little bit of kinesiologist, exercise therapy, exercise physiologist stuff. Uh, but once I found new ability, it was this moment of clarity, where I was like, this is what I want to do. And I've been here for five years now too. And it's one of those things where I, uh, I wouldn't choose a different path if I had the option.
0: Awesome. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about new ability in terms of the structure, uh, the membership base, is it one-to-one training? Is it small groups? How do you determine mm-hmm. what level of support and kind of what trainer-to-athlete ratio you guys abide to? Um, yeah, yeah maybe, the, maybe the structure of the business as a whole. Sure, sure,
1: yeah. Structure of the business is uh, kind of divided into, I guess we can call it two different areas. We have our integrative therapies, so we have acupuncture, massage therapy. Uh, that's actually the room that I'm in right now as a massage therapy room. Uh, but then the other side of the gyms, we have 5,500 square feet of adaptive exercise space. Uh, And that's one-on-one therapy where we're working on just movement on a holistic basis with everybody we can. Um, So we're working with individual spinal cord injuries stemming from the highest level of disability. So effectively, we're moving everything for them all the way to somebody who's pretty much indifferentiationable from somebody who's able-bodied. So for that, you know, the programming is going to be different from person to person to person. But also the utility of our of our staff. Sometimes it's one to one when we're working with somebody where we have a lot of experience with, and we know their disability and how we work with them. Sometimes it's two to one. Sometimes it's three on one. So we can get a person safely in a position, work through an area that is uh, more of a challenge for them, and kind of providing more value and more relief um, just to get them. Because we realize we only have one or two hours with them, so it's a very short, technically a short period of time for us to be able to work with them. So we want to make sure we're. Uh, approaching everything we can Um, so when we're in session there's three kind of principles that we have when we're working with a client step one is get them standing if we can some of the issues that we can kind of have with that are bone mineral density Um, you know sometimes there's bone formation that can kind of block that but the big one is cardiovascular too so cardiovascular health somebody gets lightheaded heart can't take that it's very difficult so that's one of the things that we try to hit is get a person in a standing position getting their hands over their head to get their scapulas moving is a huge aspect for us too just how much restriction we have for clients to get hands overhead and then to be able to get their scapulas moving in the right kind of directions i guess too and then the third thing that we have is um just getting their heart rate pumping above average you know again with us working with individuals who have c2 c4 injuries so there's uh of their neck. It's very, very difficult to get their heart rate above average. So we try to find ways that are challenging their heart, getting them standing, getting them arm biking, doing something of the sort that we're able to approach those three kind of general topics with clients when we're in a session too. But we know we're able to easily take those, combine the three of them, add multiple aspects outside of that, um, and really effectively try to meet the client where they're at at that point in time so that we're listening to what what they're dealing with throughout that day understanding what their goals are, um, kind of coaching them through what our anticipation is for that session and where our kind of goals are then too, and then trying to find kind of a mid-ground between the two so we can say, hey, I understand this process right here probably isn't going to do today. You wanted to shoot for this. Let's find a grounds in the middle here so we can kind of make things right for for everybody, but more so for, for the clients.
0: You refer to it as a therapy. And for a long time, I feel like adaptive fitness was gatekeeping like kept in a way by like physical therapy. Um, you're not technically a, a DPT, correct? So do you correct. feel like there's a line between what you and I can do as strength and conditioning coaches and as adaptive fitness professionals and then what a physical therapist can do? Um, do you think there's any? Well, there's definitely overlap. But do you think there's like limitations? Or is there some boundary that we shouldn't overstep?
1: That's that's a great question. I and mean, I go back and forth on that all the time. Um, you know, it feels the longer I've been in this space, the more that overlap is starting to become too. So at first it felt like a fifty, you know, fifty percent overlap. Now since I've been here for five years, it seems a lot more like an 80% overlap. Um, and you know, the things that I'm very conscious of now in my practice is, you know, medical devices, when I use them, how I use them, trying to get certain muscles to activate, trying to get the nervous system to reintegrate, neuromuscular reeducation. Those are things that I very much so understand are physical therapy aspects. And I attempt to do some of those too, because within my grounds is I have one hour to try to take care of as much as possible. Um, And quite frankly, too, some of the benefits for physical therapy for our clients aren't up to the caliber that they're needing or wanting. Um, So sometimes i try to be creative, um, but sometimes I very much so do jump those lines. Um, But it's the, the intent is I'm jumping those lines with the, the intent of trying to reduce suffering and trying to reduce pain and restriction and tension, um, to try to provide some type of relief from, from that, um, that suffering for this injury.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, If the the client is only active for an hour to a week, and maybe they had eight weeks of 12 weeks of PT after their injury, but then like, where do they go? Um, so facilities like yours and, um, in a way mine as well can be that place where they can continue to train. And a lot of our clients have kind of, uh, like more recently I've, I've had a stroke in an SEI client join, and they've both mentioned that, um, they like the sense of normalcy that a gym provides versus always being in PT, uh, and PT is working on what you can't do. We're working on what they can do. And I know PT obviously has, has very specific outcome goals as well. But like when I get um, someone like post-stroke, I'm going to say what recreational activities are you trying to get back to? And it's like, okay, you want to swim. So let's make sure your overhead mobility and, and your core strength and upper body strength are sufficient. Um, Maybe you'll always have some limitations in the affected side, but you kind of have to establish a new baseline and figure out how you can participate in these activities uh, with like the new set of physical ability that you have. So Uh, It's been tough for me because I try not to diagnose. I try not to kind of overstep um, what a PT can do versus what I can do. But like you said, I think a lot of that industry is trending towards good strength and conditioning practices. Um, And those are things that we've kind of already determined from being like on site with these clients and hands on with these Mm -hmm. clients. So um, yeah, it's just, it's something, cause I think that's one reason why a lot of personal trainers don't get into working with adaptive populations because they think it isn't for them.
1: Yeah. And I think you made a solid point there too, of, you know, creating a facility and a, a setting for people that isn't white coat, red tape, um, restricted, um, you know, PT aspects. And I'm not trying to talk down on PT aspects too. They have a lot of utility, but trying to create that gym environment so people can, <clears throat> tap back into their identity. It's like you had mentioned before, what kind of recreational activities do you do prior to your injury? And that's the same question we ask here. So we can say, all right, so I understand you're a hard worker, you're a person that likes to give to each other. You're somebody who has a strong family orientation. Let's work on those things so that we can get you back, you know, caring for your people in your life. But also you can get back out and have a stroll, do wheelchair rugby, get into tennis, get into you know basketball, whatever it may be. So you have that community. And the community is the biggest thing that we provide here at new ability is that's why it's you know to somewhat some degree an exclusive community as we had kind of talked about before the podcast is um you know it's an inclusive facility but it is somewhat exclusive as, as a result too by us saying we are purely neuro um in that regard too so everybody who's coming in here has some type of neurological impairment um that creates a lot of community aspects for our for our clients but then it does effectively does exclude some individuals too. Um, that's an area that I'm pushing towards is trying to get more intellectual disabilities within our nonprofit scope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that's a good point that like, oftentimes I think there is a degree of representation that's important when you're trying to get someone into an uncomfortable environment, like maybe exercises post-accident. Uh, but I think it is, at least in my facility, we've we've tried to trend towards like the presence of a disability doesn't prevent you from accessing the gym at any time. Um, and we run a, a slightly different model. We try to get it more towards like a semi-private uh, where we have like a one to six ratio or one to five ratio. So mm-hmm. our clients with SEI or that, that require a little more hands-on Um, But they're not going to be the main driver of profit. Um, If they require a one to one coach, then we're going to be taking a little bit of a loss, but it's it's part of our, our mission. So I guess, to kind of ask you a similar question, is there any discussion about training, quote unquote, general population clients? Or um, do you think that doesn't really fit into your model?
1: It's it's not necessarily a model thing. It's more so a uh, the scope of our nonprofit. Um, since we do have that, you know, Colorado basis, we have our mission statement, which is serving the um, paralysis community. Um, so I have you know I've worked into you know that's how I'd gotten into this field is working with intellectual disabilities too. So it's so true uh, true to my heart. Um, but you know there is a you know a, a mission statement change that we can make in the future that could create more access for people in the future which is definitely something that I think new ability will be doing in the future too. Um, but you also had mentioned too, and this is something that I forgot to mention before, but uh, you had mentioned five to one, six to one train, our clients, trainers, we're starting to work into sort of that type of programming also by wheelchair circuit courses. And um, that's where we set up about 12 to 15 stations across the gym. We invite a bunch of clients who have a pretty good amount of aptitude understanding our gym, a gym setting, understanding their strengths, their weaknesses, where they're good, where they're not great at, and then saying, cool, let's go and get you guys in the strong side of things. Let's work on that. Areas that you're having issues with, just advocate for yourself. Let us know how we can spot you, how we can um, make things work. So with that, you know, we can get 12 clients in here for two to three trainers. So we're increasing that level, but it also creates more of that community aspect. But then that allows us to reference that those guys that are coming in are wheelchair rugby players. So we're trying to do movements and motions that are indicative of what they're seeing on the court so that we can take that to a wheelchair tennis team, wheelchair basketball team, start doing more of this stuff in facility too. So we can have a greater utility. And my kind of dream is to be able to have a circuit course going concurrently with our adaptive exercise and with massage therapy going. So we can just create more of more utility for our space, but more, more movement effectively, too.
0: I mean, doing the small group allows you to offer it at a more accessible price point, too, uh, versus like personal training costs, which I think are always going to be tough. You're definitely right in that like mission statements for nonprofits, often silo disability uh, and really prevent you from moving beyond that scope. So I wonder if like if if a restructuring was ever in place and like new ability becomes a for profit entity with new ability. Uh, like foundation or something that's that nonprofit, uh, that still kind of allows you to, uh, execute that mission of serving, um, the paralysis community. But the fact that it's a for-profit overarching, uh, business doesn't prevent you from taking just general population adults, strength and conditioning clients, high school athletes, college athletes. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's our model. That doesn't mean it's the right model. Um, it just, it allows you to get more clients in there. And I think, Sometimes having those clients allows us to offer some funding like assistance and financial assistance to clients that need it. Um, and that's not always our clients with disabilities, but um, there is some, some statistics that show people with disabilities tend to be lower socioeconomic status, so maybe they need a little mm-hmm. more financial assistance. So it just allows absolutely. you to play with some different, different options there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What type of equipment uh, is the facility outfitted with? Um, I think that might be another barrier for a lot of fitness professionals. They think that you need highly complex equipment. So, uh, how did you guys like outfit your facility?
1: Yeah. So I'd say probably. 60% 60% of it was outfitted um, prior to my time. ability has been around for 17 years. First 12 years of the spinal cord injury recovery project, last five years of renewability. Majority of the equipment's been donation basis over the years too. We've been able to get a few grants to be able to get some of our equipment set up for us now too. But we basically have the gym divided into kind of two different aspects. One's you know personal training, adaptive exercise, and one's uh, open gym. So clients come in, work out for themselves, by themselves. Um, the stuff that is uh, adaptive and one on more personal training, we're looking at, you know, a Smith machine with we have six different carabiner attachment points too, so we can weight a person down. We can get them hands-on bar. We can do push-ups. We can do pulls. We can get them forward-leaning work on extension patterns. Um, we have a hammer strength push and pull machine too, which allows us to again and get a person in a standing position, allow them to work on pushing motions, rotation motions. Um, all the, uh, personal training equipment allows us to get a person in that standing position, work on gait training, work on overall general movements. Uh, we also do have a free motion too, which basically is, it's a pretty standard piece of gym equipment. You see them all across the board, but they have the overhanging arms where we can basically work on using resistance as assistance for some of our clients and being able to mitigate how much gravity is on top of them with an incomplete injury or being able to use some type of, of uh you know, support structure to be able to give them a postural support while we're able to work on some type of overhead, pushing or pulling motion. Um, outside of that, we have our adaptive, or I guess more of our open gym equipment. Um, and with that, that's stuff that's been here for the years too, unfortunately. So that's something I'm actually looking at um, switching out in the future. But we have one machine that has a lat pull down, a chest supported row, a preacher's curl, a chest press, uh, and then a pec deck then too. then um, outside of that, we have five different arm bikes. We have a skier with an adaptive base. Johnny Crank Cycle. We have two new steps that have um, leg supports, arm supports, every type of kind of adaptive that we uh, kind of adaptivity that we can think of within that. Um, kind of the big thing that I always like to point out, though, too, is we recently purchased about a year ago. We purchased uh, a product called the Ryzen Walk. Uh, so that's we partnered with a company called uh, Healing Innovations, and that's now another service that we offer, uh, which is working in gait training Um, so that product in particular that is run by Tyler who's our kind of rise and walk specialist right now Um, reason we purchased that key piece of equipment over other pieces of equipment on the market is that gives us 10 different levels of body weight assistance so it can really give the simulation of feeling like you're on the moon with one six gravity um, and kind of can accommodate for somebody who can weight bear as much as possible and somebody who can't weight bear at all in addition to having 10 different levels of gait assistance too there's a certain point in the machine where you can basically get down to a level where machine's not going to do anything unless you're initiating the motion. So cool thing about that product is it's a good workout for me. It'd be a good workout for you. It's a good workout for all of our clients as well. Um, So it allows us to open that door of really spanning the gamut for injuries, being able to get people back up independently moving again, too. Um, Quite frankly, though, Brendan, a lot of our equipment has just been, thrown together, put into places and we try to find efficiency. So right now I'm trying to find what are we using? How are we using it? What frequency are we using it at? Um, is anybody going to be upset if we get rid of that, if we transition for these other pieces of equipment? There's products in the market that have removable chairs that can just swivel off to the side, which for our clients was absolutely everything we could want. Um, so those are things that we're looking into right now. And my dream is to be able to have more of that open gym aspect, in addition to personal training. So folks with any type of disability, honestly, can come in and get a workout for themselves by themselves um, and kind of use that as a therapy for themselves as exercises a therapy for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there any, like maybe two or three more, if if you need two pieces of equipment that you think uh, regular traditional gyms could have uh, that would like kind of instantly make them more accessible for Uh, wheelchair users or individuals with um, SEIs?
1: Yeah, I mean, so just pieces of equipment in general, we're looking at, so a pair of active hands. Um, So active hands basically will... kind of grip onto the wrist as provide wrist support, and then act as a way for clients to grip onto pieces of equipment. Um, That is probably single-handedly the biggest thing that we could do for for facilities. They are expensive, granted everything in disability space is expensive, but being able to have that as a rented piece of equipment for clients would be huge. Um, Outside of that, um, the other thing would be a new step. I think a new step would be wonderful to have, just a great cardiovascular piece of equipment. Um, from there just in the low barrier of entry would be a skier with an adaptive um, wheelchair base to it so you need an extra four to six inches width for the base of the skier to be able to accommodate for a wheelchair user just two low-hanging fruits or i guess three low-hanging fruits for facilities Um, but outside of that too is being able to teach the staff there you know simple accommodations for being able to create weight that's too high? How do we bring that down to a level that's accommodated for somebody with a, with a spinal cord injury, paraplegic, quadriplegic? And what are the things that we should be looking out for safety condition-wise to make sure that they're safe in our facility?
0: Yeah. How did you guys come up with uh, like the training strategies that you use? Um, were there specific educational resources or was it a lot of trial and error
1: Yeah. Trial and error would probably be the best one. I mean, there is the, you know, the 12 years before my time of trainers, trying things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, um, seeing what feedback client has, um, you know, and that's the same thing that, you know, myself and my counterpart, I kind of describe him as his his name's Daniel. We've been here together five years together too. We kind of call it the school of hard knocks where we're trying things, getting feedback from the clients, seeing what does work, seeing what doesn't work, seeing what adds value and just trying to get creative because, The thing with adaptives you can do it at nauseam the same thing too so we want to try to create some type of creativity some type of innovation in the space too sometimes it does work sometimes it doesn't work um but you know the training programs that we have you know again standing hands overhead get the heart pumping above average so working on sit to stands working on total gym pushes with the lower body um, anything overheads shoulder presses um, sit-ups things of the sort like that are absolutely huge for us to do um, but there really isn't necessarily a full training plan for us, which is an unfortunate reality because we have such a wide span of individuals. Um, again, we know the generals, but it's uh, it can get really get more nuanced once we start talking to the person, seeing how their day is going, seeing how they slept, seeing what their body is doing, and how can we put together a plan that's going to kind of meet them in the middle.
0: How much does their exact diagnosis drive the training versus kind of when they come to you and you just playing around and figuring out what they can and can't do. Maybe like, can you walk me through like that initial session? Maybe if, if I'm an SCI and I come to you kind of, what would I expect to, uh, to go through for that first hour?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Yeah. So the, uh, kind of the initial evaluation that we're doing is pretty straightforward. You know, the first thing we're doing is a tour of the gym, showing you what we have, showing the entire space, introducing you to the other, uh, clients, trainers, community members, things of the sort like that just kind of getting any type of apprehension taken care of. Are you nervous right now? What's going on? Do you feel excited? Awesome. Cool. Talk to me about it. Um, From there, you know, we go over our demographics. We go over into the injuries. A lot. I've done enough uh, evaluations over my years to understand that, you know, the injury is a small component part of what's going on. I need to address what there's going on at home. I need to address what's going on um, you know, in their family life. Um, but more so like, how are they, how are you doing right now? Like, how are things going emotionally? How are things going physically speaking for you? Uh, the repression and suicidal ideations are so huge. So just trying to be a person who's here to listen is the biggest thing that I can do within that first session. Um, but you had mentioned, you know, the injury level and the, 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 the severity of the injury. I listen to that stuff absolutely as everybody should, Uh, But once I start moving with the person, once I start talking with that person, that kind of quickly starts to just slide off to the side. And I'm able to see how their body's moving through space, how I can kind of meet them where they're at at that point in time, how I can kind of create something that is um, engaging them on the strong sides, accommodating for the weak sides, working into that, and then talking to them the entire time. But, hey, how are things going? How is this feeling? How is this moving? But the injury level the injury mechanism the injury um, severity are all important things, but, you know, it's important when it comes into, you know, why did you get discharged so early from the hospital? Why was, uh, you know, why did you feel like you got this type of treatment over this type of treatment? And then uh, it just allows me to use that as a basis and say, cool, let's, you know, let's control, we control attitude and effort and let's let's get the heck after it right now. And, you know, use exercises as, as a grounds for rehab Which effectively, that's what research is showing. It is too, and those are the two things that we can control: our attitude and effort. Let's just just move.
0: Yeah, we we tend to look at like trying to make, I guess you could call it a trainable menu. Basically, looking at what active range they have at each joint. Like, can you flex your elbow? Can you extend your elbow? If you can, okay, you can do bicep curls. Can you lift your arms up to uh, same shoulder height? Can you push them forward? If if so, like okay, you can do some horizontal pressing. Um, if they have to stay by your side, then maybe we decline your bench and do some assisted pressing, uh, decline your chair and do some assisted pressing. So it's just kind of figuring out for me. And I don't know if it's, I kind of go back and forth because it's not really grounded in anything that like I was taught. It's just things. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's hard for me. I'm like, there's no pre-established standard for me to follow here. I think what I'm doing is best for the client, but I care so much about them i like really want to make sure it is what's best for the client like how do Mm -hmm. i know um so that that sometimes is tough for me like am i doing them a disservice by not going out and researching their injury to the t like uh, that's just one of the like things that i that i sometimes think about I think about
1: that same thing all the time too, is, you know, the nuances behind these injuries are so profound that, you know, it's, you want to have as much information to be able to make you as competent as possible. But sometimes an over overflow of information makes you really like apprehensive and kind of start to draw back. So that's why I'm like, let's just talk. Let me just build rapport with you. Let's get to know each other. Let me make sure we're friends right here. And if, if that's not the case, I fully accept that by all means, this, these types of facilities aren't for everybody. We have loud music, kind of stuff like that. Um, but I want to try to make it right for that person too, however I can. I'll, I'll switch my personality to make it right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenge though, absolutely.
0: I think it's, um, it just, that maybe is one of the reasons why a lot of people are hesitant to work with these populations outside of the rehabilitation settings because they, they worry that they're going to, do more damage than good. Um, but for me, I, I feel like giving them uh, an outlet to exercise, addressing, like you said, the cardiovascular issues that might be creating secondary health outcomes beyond their SEI, mm-hmm. cardiovascular disease, et cetera, trying to address as many of those as we can. Um, the yeah. walking is another thing that I think about a lot. Like um, we get kept up and walking at the end of every session um, and I know some people post SCI are like fixated on trying to independently walk again. Some are content mm-hmm. using their wheelchair and they're like, this wheelchair makes my life so much easier. Why am I going to spend all of my time and energy trying to independently walk again? Um, so I think that's like, do you see clients? Do you, do you talk about that outcome? Like, do you mm-hmm. want to independently walk? Are you comfortable with a manual wheelchair and electric wheelchair Uh, Is that a conversation that you guys often have?
1: Yeah, all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, we have plenty of people who have intent and drive to walk again too. The practicality behind it just unfortunately is not there. And that's why we say, you know, understand like exercise is a gift. Exercise is a celebration of what you can do. It's not a, you know, a, a talk down on what you can't do. So let's go out there and exercise. Let's have our fun. And if we go through a session where we're like, hey, walking today is not right for me. Let's move on to something different. Let's go ahead and keep you moving. Let's keep the endorphin flow going. Let's keep the energy up. Let me keep giving you what I can. So instead of just like beating a dead horse and just working on something at nausea, let's, let's find something different. Walking is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely huge but exercise is unbelievably uh, essential too. And you had mentioned something before too that I wanted to kind of bring up again is some of the trainers in this space or some trainers that potentially want to get in this space that have apprehension, you know, think to themselves, this, it's so much for me to work into. I don't know what I don't know right now. Quite frankly, and, and then the risk of potentially hurting somebody can come up. The risk of physical deconditioning for this population far outweighs the risk for hurting them, quite frankly, though. And that's something that is, Arguably, one of the biggest things why we say, let's let's just consistently move. Let's just get in there and exercise as much as we can. If you're working on walking and walking isn't working today, let's find something else that's going to get you going. Find some way to get you moving because the risk of physical deconditioning on your liver, kidneys, heart is so profound that we need to try to do anything we can within this hour right now keep your body moving so that your mind stays up so we can kind of build this 1% trajectory of improvement mentally and physically and emotionally on a regular basis, rather than having that the opposite direction going down and kind of a heart spiral.
0: I mean, it's such a rewarding outcome. And I don't say that to be like, um, like, oh, look at what we're doing. But like, the opportunity to help someone with such an emotionally and physically taxing like portion of their life is it's like such a reward. And I feel like incredibly honored every time I get the chance to like train these individuals and it like, it's kind of emotionally taxing at least. I don't know if you feel the same way to like me to sometimes have these conversations with them. And I don't know if I'm putting myself in their shoes or I'm thinking of my family as it relates to them. Um, It's, it's tough, but it's, it's so rewarding and I wish more, people had the opportunity to do it so that's why I'm like so adamant on trying to encourage more fitness professionals to get involved and like you said you don't have to have the answers none of us particularly do we just have a desire uh to support these populations but you can keep training middle-aged general pop clients or Mm -hmm. you can like kind of completely change someone's life um working with some of these populations at least I hope we change their life in a positive way so
1: yeah, fingers crossed, and yeah, that emotional labor you're talking about is very much the thing, though. But you know, I thank I actively thank the clients for trusting me uh, in this process, and that for me is you know it's given my life a purpose. It's given my career trajectory too, um, and it's something that's you know that's community and that family type mentality really starts to blossom when people are like, I just kind of wholeheartedly trust you. Yeah. Um, that's something that's beautiful. It's something that my life is more enriched as a result now.
0: What are the barriers that, uh, some of your clients face, uh, post-accident in terms of like insurance and getting their rehabilitation services and do those run out after a specific timeline, like kind of when, at what point in the recovery process do they end up with you?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so it's, it's effectively from discharge from hospital they're on, um, you know, it's We want to be that one-stop shop for folks that they can come in take care of everything they need to take care of. And we have a pretty slick system too, where you can, you know, pay for one hour adaptive exercise, do the FES bike, do open gym and do your hour of exercise and maybe do integrative therapies all for just paying for one hour. So you can be here for four hours by being really efficient too. Um, But yeah, you know, obviously insurance, capital, capital fundraising and, and, you know, monetary support is obviously huge too. Um, I would say the biggest director or the biggest thing though, for our clients is direction. Uh, um, you know, after, after post discharge, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I do these things? That's why, I mean, hospitals are unbelievable. Any facility like this that has disability engagement in it is unbelievable too, because the community that I referenced before is what helps these individuals who are recently discharged from the hospital, get back into the community, get back out doing recreation, get back with their family, get back with their friends. It's the best ability for them to say, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but how did you do this? Talking to another person with a different disability too, it just breaks uh, breaks those barriers down um, so that they have more of a direction moving forward and they can say, okay, yeah, I have a better path right now of what I want to do and how I want to do it instead of just feeling lost otherwise they're just like i don't know what to what to do i don't know where to go um and this it kind of helps give them some direction but you know and then there's people who are you know if you had people who are 40 years post injury you know 30 years or 39 years post discharge and they're like yeah i just wanted a good place to work out and they're like cool you could do that too and that's the best part about us is we're able to take people who are recently injured just fresh out and discharge from the hospital show them what their body's going through, bring their family together. We have a bunch of people working out right now in that aspect. And we have individuals who have been, you know, paralyzed for 20, 30 years. And they just want a good workout. They want to come and enjoy the community they want to come in for a movie night and stuff like that. So absolutely.
0: have you built a, have you built like a referral network with hospitals? I think oftentimes people will ask me how you get like those first clients in the door. And there's not really like a, a sexy answer to that outside of like doing the work to forming those connections and getting yourself involved with organizations that support the clientele that you want outside of your gym Uh, but like how do you know i know you weren't there when the business first started but uh, how do you guys like market and how do you guys bring in new clients
1: biggest thing is word of mouth You know, it's making sure that we're serving the people that we're working with right now. I mean, granted, we already have clients in our schedule. So asking them, hey, if you enjoy this, please talk to other people about it. Outside of that is, you know, going to the PTs, OTs, neurologists, um, through Craig Hospital is a huge one. We recently partnered with the Veterans Association, too, in Colorado here also. So we're getting referrals from them. Biggest thing, though, is clients referring other clients here. That is how we probably bring in, I would argue, half of our clients into the area now. Um, with that, you know, our clients have done that just for the good of their heart and wanting to help new ability in our, in our community. So we created an ambassador program recently, and that allows the clients that have been with us for, we have a kind of criteria that we have, but it allows those clients to be incentivized to bring in, you know, other members, um, sponsorships, um, donations, things of the sort like that, that can help build us up in the future, but so we can give back to them then too and say, Thank you. Like this, this means the world to us. But yeah, referrals in this small space are going to be the the best thing. But outside of that, is talking to the PTs, OTs, neurologists, anybody who's working front line with these clients or with these patients at that time to be able to say, "Cool, once discharge happens, here's a few different options for you here, so you can you actually have some trajectory, some path right now
0: moving forward." Yeah, absolutely. I, I like the idea of that ambassador program because. AdaptX as a nonprofit is relatively new. Uh, my gym functions as a for-profit, uh, but we're trying to figure out ways to fundraise more and kind of do all those things that nonprofits need to be uh, fiscally sustainable. So it's it's an interesting idea to maybe have these like advocates or ambassadors on your behalf, try to solicit some of the sponsorships, et cetera, and finding ways to incentivize them to do so. Um, one thing... I wonder about or focus on is how to monitor progress uh, with some of these populations. Um, are there specific metrics or assessment tools that you guys use um, to kind of keep track of specific KPIs? Or-
1: yeah, the biggest one that I can think of um, is a rise and walk. Um, so a six minute walk test is what Tyler will have our clients do as a pre and post test. Um, that gives us the most, you know, objective data to be able to say we have made a 27 percent improvement in gate, um you know, those those type of things. Since we are um, outside of the uh, rise and walk, since we are adapting and kind of creating innovation, you know, certain areas, it's difficult for us to say, "Hey, you made progress on this on this thing right here," when it's almost <laughs> completely outside of that aspect too. Or kind of combining things together. We have one client in particular right now that's like, hey, I just want to do the same thing every time I'm in here, I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight. And we're kind of using that right now as a proxy to say, cool, let's see if we can gain a lot of strength, lose a lot of weight, use this, cut all variables out right now. Because unfortunately it's something that we've really struggled to see is, you know, trackable progress. Um, you know, how do we measure uh you know strength output when the difference between a bicep curl is you know four pounds versus three pounds or three pounds versus four pounds you know the the difference behind that and then you telling that to the client you know it's that's a 25 percent difference 33 percent difference they're like oh it's four pounds though yeah Yeah, it's it's not, not a huge thing so it's for us it's hey you perform that movement so much better from the last time too so a lot of what i do since i work on a cyclical schedule so we have four trainers on staff I work with each client each fourth time, effectively, I kind of will say, let's start with stuff that we've worked on before, see if we can make strength progress based off the of notes that I've taken from that last session. And then let's add a little thing at the top here, kind of cherry on top. That's going to be something new, or something creative, something different. Usually shoot for about three quarters of the session to be stuff that I know is going to be effective and going to kind of work and something that I can like effectively try and track and try to put some numbers to and quantify. Uh, and then the other, you know, 25% or so, I'm just like, let's just try something new. Let's just try to push down some barriers, be a little bit, uh, a little more, you know, innovative, um, get some creativity.
0: Yeah. That is one thing. Cause like, even this morning I was working with uh, one of our clients uh, p- who's a uh, stroke and um, he's like, do you think I'm improving? I was like, yeah, like this exercise has gone up in weight. This exercise has gone up in weight, but then he sees that he still struggles with some aspects of gait. And I think that frustrates him. So I'm like, okay, I'm improving his seated cable row by 200%. But if that doesn't really matter to him, then it's me just projecting my goals onto him. So um, it's like making sure you're astutely in tune with what the client wants. Like you mentioned earlier, taking their expectations, your expectations and and matching them. Um,
1: Yeah. And one thing I've noticed too, Brendan, too, is if we were to try to quantify and like test and retest things too there's kind of a psychological aspect that happens in some clients too or if we're working on gait training and you've you know you took a minute to go around the gym the last time and you're shooting for 45 seconds this time the body's a master of compensation and the compensation patterns will continue to expedite unfortunately at least from what i've seen in my practice when you start saying all right, we, I, this is for time right here. You've got to give it your best effort. You see the movement patterns start to break down a little bit too. And that's where I start to say like, okay, this is, let's work on this component part here for this fatigue resistance aspect. So this part right here works better. So you're really breaking these things down so that compensation doesn't start happening. Cause once compensation happens, like I'm walking and my left shoulder hurts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. got to work on that cane position. Then. Yeah.
0: Good yeah. to know yeah absolutely um one question that we've asked most of the guests kind of towards the end of these um, discussions is what do you think needs to be done to make the fitness industry as a whole more accessible and inclusive
1: it's yeah it's a great question i think it's you know really comes down to um, breaking down the barriers for trainers and breaking down the barriers for staff Um, you know, the thing that I tell us, we've had 78 interns over three and a half years, every intern we've had has the intent that I want you to be able to take my job. I don't want you to do hundred percent neuro in the future. I want you to have a component part of neuro. So when somebody comes in your facility in the future with a disability in a wheelchair with a cane, you're the first person to say, I can help you out. I may not know exactly what to do, but I can figure it out. That's the whole intent that we have right now too, is being able to say, I just can create some level of safety and competence and confidence with right now with, with you so that you can work out in this facility. Um, so basically trying to break down the barrier of exposure of trainers. Hey, um, this is what it's like working with somebody with a disability. This is the level of disability. This is physical disability. It's an intellectual disability. This is where we can kind of come into play Um, and educating them on these are the secondary health complications that can come up. These are the safety conditions that can kind of of arise. Um, And, you know, being able to accommodate with a few pieces of equipment at first, Um, but then to create an environment that is, uh, you know, inclusive and accommodating for these individuals too, where people don't just start to stare at them and don't have a social stigma or um, anything of that. It's it's, For me, it's, you know... uh, getting the training getting the, uh, the staff members aware of we're a fully inclusive facility and we can do this kind of stuff too, because we have experience with it.
0: That's been one of the hardest things about scaling the course. Like you said, I think the hands-on practical experience is invaluable. Like um, in my course, I'm not going to talk about whether eight reps is superior to 10 reps to 12 reps. It's like, these are your guiding principles. These are communication strategies. These are principles of inclusion models of disability. And I think a lot of people aren't exposed to some of these like perspectives and concepts and communication strategies and just everything from language, um, to how you interact with someone. Uh, they don't come naturally to people because most people aren't exposed to disability, uh, like seamlessly in environments that, um, are inclusive. So I, it's hard to, teach someone a course remotely and then say, okay, like you're good to go. Nothing really replaces like in-person hands-on experience and uh, nothing necessarily prepares you for that experience. So you might as well take it on um, and learn as you go. I think people appreciate as long as your interests are pure and like you care about the outcomes for the individual. I think most people would not expect you to have a plethora of knowledge related to spinal cord injury. If you showed up at their gym. Um, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just being as, as competent as possible with the, you know, the changes in exercise physiology that comes with muscle populations is, is the biggest thing too. understanding what goes on with the heart, what goes, goes on with, you know, blood pressure goes on with uh, thermoregulation. Those things are absolutely important.
0: Yeah. Uh Dane, if people want to support new ability or kind of learn more about you guys, what would be the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, so a few different areas that we have. So our Instagram page is going to be kind of the lowest hanging fruit. So new ability uh, at new ability on Instagram is going to be a great one for you guys. Uh, we do have our fundraiser coming up this Friday on the 3rd uh it's strive 2023 it's going to be a pretty awesome event um if anybody wants to donate that's to be a great way to do that outside of that newability.org is going to be our website going forward we'll have all of our calendar events donation will be on there as well too um i also run a youtube page also for adaptive exercise but that's kind of separate from new ability
0: yeah awesome so for people that are just listening that's new neu uh or N E. yep neu not N E W. um so yeah NewAbility on all social media channels, websites, um, and like they mentioned on the YouTube channel, I'm sure you can pick up some exercise modifications and recommendations. Uh, but yeah, I think this was a great episode because there's a lot of similarities in terms of how both you and I approach fitness and kind of see fitness. Um, we have similar backgrounds in terms of like education and training, but we've both gone in relatively like unique paths, um, that have kind of brought us to a similar outcome, but, uh, the opportunity to work with very diverse clientele. And I hope it encourages if new grads or new fitness professionals listen to an episode like this. And I, I hope the outcome is that they're encouraged to pursue something that might seem intimidating at first, uh, but will ultimately be incredibly rewarding for their career. So, uh, Dan, thanks for sharing a story, uh, your expertise, and hopefully we can direct some people your way. Awesome. Thank you again, Brendan. Thank you for listening to the Adaptex podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about Adaptex, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptex.org. Until next Monday.